Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey friends, have you noticed that no matter how much yoga we do, we may still struggle in our intimate relationships? My husband and I have a great relationship, but we are not relationship coaches. And we know that yoga can and does help, but at a certain point, you need more relational support from a relationship specialist. If you're going through some kind of challenge right now in your relationships, my friend Jason Gaddis at the Relationship School can help. Jason's team will pair you up with a skilled relationship coach And within 48 hours, you'll be getting private one-on-one support on whatever you're going through relationally. And right now, for my listeners only, Jason is offering half off one month of relationship coaching. Head over to relationshipschool.com slash Laura to get the deal and watch your relationships improve. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A, where you ask the questions and we answer to the best of our ability. I am joined, as always, by my lovely co-host, Kristen Williams. Hey, Laura. I love that little disclaimer. To the best of our ability. To the best of our ability. I thought I should say that. I know. It's very true. It's very true. Hey, everybody. All right. We're going to hit the ground running here with a question that was sent in over our support at Lit Yoga from BEK. Um, She says, I have a question for the podcast. I'm not clear as to how the shoulder blades need to upwardly rotate. But at the same time, I thought I've heard over and over again to lean into them. Thank you for all that you do, the wonderful flows and the podcast. So, you know, this is a great question. I think um, certainly for me, even years into being a physical therapist, this idea of what the heck is going on at the scapula, what what role does it does it play? It's a very odd shaped bone. Um, it's one of my favorite things to discuss and describe and really help people try to understand um, how this bone moves in relation to our most complex joint, which is the shoulder joint, the shoulder complex, we'll call it that. It's complex because it's a complex, you know? And so we, um, I'll just dive in since I've already started. We've, we, we've got this something called scapulohumeral rhythm and, and um, they're actually kind of, it's funny, they're sort of coming away from that, that verbiage but, but I think there's some truth to it. We, the scapula needs to move with the humerus, with the collarbone, with the sternum, with the ribs in a very 
rhythmic way. And there is, there is, if you've ever watched someone move their arms up, forward and up, out to the side and up, there is kind of a beauty to, to how the scapula moves because it moves on the ribs and it's not, there's not even a joint there. It's, 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 it's a, it's called a false joint, but it, it moves along these, this, these bones, the ribs, and it needs to move in this up. When you lift your arms up, the first X number of degrees, I'm not even going to get into that because I don't want to muddy the waters. The first part of motion, just the humerus moves. But then you get to a point in the range, let's just say 90 degrees. And as to get above 90 degrees, whether you're coming forward and up or out to the side and up, the shoulder blade has to start moving. And so the shoulder blade is actually the socket. Now that was kind of a, a big aha moment for me in PT school. Like, wow, the shoulder blade is the socket. You know, we think of our hip joint, it's kind of obvious where the socket is, it's your pelvis. It's this big stationary thing, but here now we have a socket that's moving. So in order to get that arm above 90 degrees, the shoulder blade has to start to move. And I'm kind of, if you watch me on YouTube, I'm moving my hands all around. The shoulder blade has to start to move with the humerus. And the reason that has to happen is we've got a, you know, bony prominences that the, we don't want the arm bone to bang into because then what's going to happen? We're going to irritate all the stuff in between. And so the shoulder blade, it's called upwardly rotating. So if you put your hands out like they're, they're two uh, like stop, you know, stop signs, and then you lift the pinky side up towards the sky and the, the thumb side is going to naturally point down towards the floor. That is upward rotation. And what's interesting about that is parts are upwardly rotating, but yes, parts are pointing down. So that's very confusing for the, for, for the new physical therapist, the new movement specialist to kind of understand. And so to answer your question, BEK, like that's going to happen no matter what you do. You don't need to think about upwardly rotating. It happens naturally. Now it always doesn't always happen well if we get some sort of a disruption in that rhythm where the muscles aren't working together. They're called force couples. We have all these muscles that are working in conjunction with one another to make that be that smooth rhythmic movement. But it doesn't matter. You cannot stop that from happening if you get your arms up above 90 degrees. That's going to happen. So I think where you might be getting confused along with me, I was there too, is I thought I had to actively upwardly rotate. Now, if we have a dysfunctional movement pattern, meaning it's not moving well, sometimes we do talk to people about thinking about doing that. But really, let's just step away from that. It's going to happen no matter what. Leaning into your shoulder blades is more, in my opinion, an active thought process, an active motion. And we're talking about when you're on your hands. Um, if you think about leaning into your shoulder blades, when you're in, say, down dog, when you're in, um, you know, even uh, standing L or standing split, as a lot of people know that, your arms are above 90 degrees. So you're already upwardly rotated at to whatever degree. But this idea of leaning into the shoulder blades just means you're starting to take the weight into this into where the shoulder blades articulate with the rib cage. 
And so when we say that over and over again, it's because we want people to not stop, but think less about pushing the floor away or weight bearing into the wrist. We want people to think about, hey, if I can settle into this really broad base of support, I think of the scapulae, the shoulder blades as being the the pelvis. They're like the abdominal, the, 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 the scapular stabilizers are like the abdominals of your upper extremity. So we want to use those bad boys. You know, we don't want to move through space, not using our core. It's the same thing. When we get on our hands, we want to get weight into the bigger joint, the bigger joints, the bigger bones, the bigger, you know, connection. And that is the scapula. So no matter what you're going to upperly rotate when you get the arms above 90 degrees, leaning into the scapula is a whole other thought process of really getting that brain to body connection, getting the scapula firmly rooted onto the ribs when we get on our hands. Laura, I know you've got more to say about that. What else do you have to add? Yeah. I mean, you just said that so well. I think, I think we often from our PT perspective say lean in, but people literally translate that and it's like, wait, what? So you could also think of the scapula leaning into the ribs, right? So they're trying to move toward the rib cage. So whatever way that translates, I can, un I can see that that can be confusing. I, to me, when I say lean into my scapula, it's a way of like, my brain goes right to my scapula. And it's so, whereas scapula lean into the ribs, maybe for me, that doesn't translate the same way. But if you're more literal, literal, you could think scapula lean into the rib cage. All of it is to say like what KB was talking about with this socket, um, the ball and socket joint. When you are moving your scapula firmly into your rib cage, what you're doing is fortifying this whole shoulder complex shoulder girdle. You're bringing it in so the humerus has the stability, so the clavicle into the sternum has the stability, so the rib cage is stable and not, you know, moving away or overly rounding and having the scapula kind of slide away in protraction. So there, yeah, there's so much to think about, but I would simplify it just the way KB was saying. If your arms are not above 90 degrees, like you're in plank, you want your scapula just to be leaning down into the rib cage, whatever way you want to think about it. And you're leaning, I like to think I'm, this, I'm leaning into my scapula because then my muscles around the scapula kind of pull into them. That's what makes me think of leaning into the scapula. But if it makes more sense for you to think, pull the scapula into the back, whatever, just find that for you. But you want the scapula to stay in its kind of relationship. So for instance, in plank, when people like push the floor away and move the scapula, they're getting more into the, they're requiring more of their chest muscles like from the you know crease of the armpit in, which do some of them do attach to the humerus to the clavicle but they're at, they're going to influence all that and kind of um, shorten it and it's taking it out of it this structural integrity it, it's not that it's wrong to do we do that as a movement but if you're talking about getting the most stability and strength the neutral scapula is the way to be you know when you're in that 90 degree or below once you get above, like KB said, you're going to naturally upper, upperly rotate. But here's the thing. Your posture matters because your shoulder will, up, you know, your scapula will upperly rotate to the degree it can. But if your starting position is already, you know, rounded and you have uh, fl flexion in your thoracic spine, 
your scapula already slid away, and we call it protraction, abduction, maybe even a little depressed. That's where you talk about the downward rotation. Don't worry about those terms. Just think, if you're not in a neutral starting position in your, in your, that's your most optimal posture, which is a spectrum, you are limiting your upward rotation. You are limiting your range of motion, and something will compensate because if you get your arm up and you're trying to reach up to a high cabinet and you can't get that full upward rotation because it already started, you've already lost 30 degrees of the protraction because you started in protraction, you're going to thrust your ribs or you're going to arch your back. You're going to figure out some way to push the ribs forward to make the arm go taller. I'm doing that all. So again, check out our YouTube. This is all for free on YouTube. You can see us in real time um, and you can see us doing some of these movements. So the key parts are work on your posture. Where is your head? Where is, you know, are you in triple S to start off with? Because then you don't have to think about that upper rotation as much because it's going to have much more of a clean line. When you're weight bearing, trying to pull and keep the scapula near to the ribs as opposed to kind of pulling away from the ribs or the front, think about the front body pulling away from the ground. And so that would be in plank, standing L. Otherwise, it was, some people think of that as a standing split, but we don't in, in uh, lit, we don't have that high leg. So it's more like an L shape because we're trying to keep the neutral spine and neutral scapula because that is going to fortify the scapula stabilizers so that if you ever did want to hop or just want to feel like you're getting stronger, you're going to do that. There's a lot more to say, but hopefully that answered the question. I think so. <laughs> okay. We could probably do one question per episode. <laughs> I know, right? We can just go on and on. Yeah. All right. So this is from Chicky Brown. She said, I have a question about my husband. He has Osgood Slaughter's knee in one knee. He's had it since he was a teenager, but it has definitely become larger since we've been in the U.S. Is there anything he can do for it? We are hiking a lot, so maybe it's aggravated. He started doing some yoga with me today, but found it hard be being on his knees. And when we modified, I think it was just too uncomfortable. Hope all is good for you. So I'll start off here because I wrote her back so that she had an immediate answer and didn't have to wait. Because I essentially said, um, you know, Ajgud Schlatter is this thing that happens in your teenage years, um, it's it's just it's kind of like a bone spur. For instance, a bone spur happens when there has been stressed to an area, and the body's idea is, oh, I better send in some more material to give it some more stabilization. Uh, so they don't know exactly what causes it. Uh, it tends to be during periods of growth. So there might be like too much growth, like, uh, you know, um, and it's in the knee. So around the knee, whether it's somebody's getting, you know, and it is more common in men by far. And so they get a bony protuberance um, where the patella meets, kind of glides between the femur and the tibia. And so so right beneath that on the two, um, the tibia, what is that, the plateau called? Tibial tubercle. Yeah. Tibial tubercle. Yeah. It gets bigger, like there's a bone growth, and it sticks out and it protrudes. So it not only um, is obvious, but it's painful. It's painful to touch. It's painful when people not, you know, people have knocked, uh, knocked it into the bed or something or leaning into it. It can, just like a bone spur, can with time um, diminish or even go away, but sometimes it remains and because it's already kind of attached itself. 
So what I asked Chicky to do is I said, you know, my gut is that he is putting more pressure in his knee and that's contributing to this lasting. So I said, can you just send me a picture of his posture? Sure enough, what did I see? And she immediately was like, oh my God, you're a magician. No, I'm not. I, I'm simply looking at his posture. I kind of, he, he has a lot of tilt and he was pop, um, you know, locking his knees back. His pelvis was tilted. The reason why that's important is if he flexes, which is going to be putting more pressure in that area, the femur, the pressure is going into the knee because his pelvis is tilted forward and the femur, instead of kind of going back with flexion, is, is going to tend to go down more into the knee. And especially with weight bearing, especially with climbing down a hill and hiking and things like that. So, you know, one thing is whether you have something like this or any kind of knee issue, you almost always you have to look at the hip. We talk about this a lot. Look at the hip, look at the um, the natural posture because that's going to tell you how your brain is programmed or wired to fire. So if you're tilting in the pelvis, it's going to assume that there's like less range of motion or you just, it's a practice, right? It's a habit. So I just said, really work on hip mobility, ankle mobility, neutral spot, you know, the triple S, and then work a lot on hip strengthening. So anytime, again, you have something that is bothering you in your knee, you want to try and offset that with as much as possible. And I said, get him to do lit, just not weight bearing on the knee or have a little cushion under the knee. A lot of times the cushion won't help with, you know, it's just still too much pressure. But working like the reset and then stuff where he's not on his knee to really work on that overall functional movement and strength. Do you have anything more to add? No, I, I agree with you completely. You know, that um, that tilt of the pelvis, the tightness in the anterior hip, all of that goes straight into the knee. And, you know, and and I would encourage him, Chicky, you know, that they'll, it's not going to happen overnight. But, I mean, I've seen it in my own body. I tend to, I'm a runner, you know, ran marathons long before I did any type of lit. Um, and so I had that traditional short and low back anteriorly tilted pelvis, knee, anterior knee pain. And just by, you know, traditional type of yoga postures, we'll, we'll try to stretch out the front of the hip by really kind of going more into the low back. And I found by adjusting my pelvis, just finding the neutral pelvis and then being in a high crescent lunge. Like if you ever watch me on lit, you'll see how narrow my narrow being my stance is short. Because I'm really that I still have to draw my tailbone down to get to a neutral pelvis um, because I still will want to go. My brain wants to take me to that anteriorly tilted pelvis. So by drawing my tailbone under, that's lengthening out the quadricep. But it's also putting just, you know, gravitational stress is taken off of the knee. Um, and then over time, that's gotten better and better and better to where I can find a neutral pelvis with a wider, longer stance. I've got a more openness in my quadriceps, which decreases the pressure through the anterior knee. And that is what Ajgood Schlatter's is. You know, that, like you said, Laura, it's usually in, in boy, young boys. I think it's because they go through these growth spurts and the bones grow quicker than the muscles can stretch. So you got this quadricep just hanging on for dear life right there at the, you know, right there at the tibial tubercle and it starts to build up that bone spur. So most of us, don't do anything about Ajgood slaughters. Or even if you do, you do that when you're 13 and 14 and then you forget about it, you go right back into your old pattern. So finding the neutral pelvis is huge, really. And then, yeah, like you said, Laura, just take the pressure off it. 
Um, put a blanket under there, you know, because I, I do think the weight bearing through the knee also helps open up that, that's that connective tissue. So he's going to decrease that pull. And what you're doing on the mat will then translate while he's hiking, because now he's going to, you know, he's going to be able to take, especially if you're living in the Northeast and hiking is not like it is in the Southeast, uh, where it's more like strolling along hills. You know, if you're doing a lot of, you know, scrambling up rocks, the scrambling down rocks, you know, if you don't have that, that muscle length, that excursion, it's, it all almost always goes into the knee and really, and they, if so foot and ankle, like you said, you know, we need to restore that mobility at the hip, at the pelvis, at the ankle to just take the pressure off the knee. And it will take time, but I would, like you said, have him keep doing lit, just modify. Cause I just found it just helps with the brain mapping. It, it, it helps with that. It's a long-term flexibility change. You can stretch your quads all you want. Heck, I can bring my foot, my, my foot to my butt. It's not a quadricep issue. It is more, I think of it's a positional quadriceps. So it's a hip issue. It's a pelvis issue that manifests down in the knee. Yeah. And, and probably that position of the pelvis might've happened, you know, this happens for a lot of people anyway, but it might've happened because of all that pressure, mm -hmm. um, you know, of the connective tissue and just the pelvis was following, following that pull. So yes, get back to us on how that works. This is from Tia, who has been working for herself in healthcare for a number of years, but I want to go and, I mean, I've been working for others for a number of years in healthcare, and I want to work for myself. I'd love to know your tips for working for yourself. Mm. I know. And that, um, I don't know what, I'm guessing, she, she, do we know if she's a PT or? I don't know, but maybe because she said healthcare, but maybe she's a PT, maybe not. But yeah, yeah to work for yourself. I mean, I guess let's assume it's a PT, but it could okay. be like. But a, it could apply across the board. Could, you know, I think that this is really a, applies for anything. It does. It does. <laughs> working for yourself. The good news is, you know, the fact that you've been working for years, you most likely have developed a reputation. I really think word of mouth and reputation are the two biggest referral sources for your private clinician. I would argue for any type of, of practice, because it's, it's scary, Laura, you know, I mean, for me too, I was sort of forced out by COVID. You know, I, I had kind of been, I went from full-time, I started to, to part-time to even more part-time, you know, sort of whittling my way down. And then all of a sudden it was like, fly bird, fly, you gotta go. and I was thankful that that happened after, again, I, I, I had a reputation. People, people knew that I knew what I was doing. Um, but sometimes you do just have to jump off the deep end. So word of mouth um, is the greatest thing. And then I also think you have to, um, you have to trust that you are worth, you're worth your time. And what someone will get going to a private clinician, a private pay clinician, and that is going to be you, they are going to get your full devoted, whatever it is, half hour, hour of attention. And they are going to get that. It's a concierge service. And knowing that because of your experience, you are worth that to them. They are going to see how much more they get from this concierge type service 
versus we're all hamstrung when we're in a in a clinic. We're hamstrung by the amount of paperwork we have to do. We're hamstrung by what we can do because of insurance reimbursement. Let's be honest, it's still a business. So if I know that no matter what I do with this patient, I'm only going to get $40 an hour. I could do one thing. I could do 15 things. It is human nature. You're going to get one or two things, not the 15. But if you're going to someone where you are paying out of pocket for the hour, they are going to give you 15 things because, I mean, I appreciate my clients. I know that it's coming out of their pocket. And I know that if that was me, I would expect more, rightfully so. So I am going to absolutely tick every single box. Arguably, I go over and above. I'm sending stuff afterwards. You, you know, so I think creating the relationship, use, taking advantage of word of mouth, you know, letting people know, hey, I'm going out on my own. It's going to be, you know, cash pay. But, you know, can you please refer people to me? Um, there, there is a selling yourself feel to it, you know, because, you know, people are coming and, 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 and paying their, their hard earned money. But, you know, I think you have to other, also look at other opportunities, you know, vo volunteering somewhere, you know, or, or doing stuff on the weekends with a sports team with that, where you can meet people that way. So I found I have gained a lot of people through things that I've done where maybe I wasn't paid. Maybe I, or maybe I was, um, it could be anything. It could be through my, my kids' sports, through my husband's job, letting people know, yeah, I'll help you out and do stuff for free. Go work with the local university for free because you are getting your name out there. You're developing that relationship, that trust that then people are willing to pay and then trust me. I mean, it's very, if ever, that you will, someone will pay and they see you one-on-one, -on -one, they get that one-on-one -on -one attention that they ever say, you know what, that wasn't worth it. I'm not, and maybe they don't come back. Maybe they are more, or maybe you see them fewer times, but it, it it's just better care, period. Mm -hmm. Laura, what do you have to say about that? Well, first of all, Tia, I mean, you have 10 years. I would totally capitalize on the fact you have experience, like KB, all, all the things KB said. But the other thing is, when you're going off to work on your own, and this could probably, you could just substitute any field in this, it does help if you've had experience. I, I think that people who have gotten a training or gone to school and had very little experience in a, in a bigger way where they had input from other professionals in their field, saw a lot of clients. Um, I don't think they're going to have as, as, as breadth of a knowledge and experience. So you have that 10 years. That's a lot. You know, that's what KB and I have. Like we have a lot of experience and that is a big selling point. And then, then you at, then you answer the question: What is missing in those in the place you were? And and then you, you're going to solve that issue. Is it time? Is it quality of care? Is it education? Is it all of the above? You know, and that's what you're going to solve. And then you're going to speak to that, like to again the people that have you've worked with before. And if you start small and the, and, and you serve your people well, it you'll you'll grow because people talk about what they love, what has helped them, what has 
brought them back to life, what have brought them back to doing the things they want to do. And this word of mouth, and we find this all the time in Lit, it is the most powerful tool because people do want to share what they love. But the big thing is, and this for people who are consuming, um, who are paying to go to somebody like Tia, who are paying for uh, going to a gym or a fitness center or private you know, training, whatever it is, online platform, I... I am. I strongly urge you to look for people who have experience and knowledge, and and can have put that into um, a, a way of serving you to meet your needs. Because if you if people haven't seen a lot of different types of people, they're not going to be able to customize it, individualize it, um, or know as much about you know general or general kind of. Uh, movement problems or health problems or whatever that many people have. So ex- really speak to your experience. I think that's really important. That isn't to say for people who are listening, oh my gosh, I've only been doing this for two years and I'm ready to work for myself. You could do that. Just um, always think of like what you're doing now, how it could help you on this road and maybe putting in some more time would be very, very impactful for this future goal. I think as KB knows all the time, we say this all the time, it takes time to develop something that you're doing on your own. And patience and fortitude is important, but experience and getting to know people and and, and all of that is, is huge. No, it really is. Because I mean, you go, you get this degree, you're like, woohoo. And then you come out and it's like, you know, you don't have the confidence. And if you have confidence coming out of PT school, that is false confidence. Like I would, because experience is needed. I would argue any medical health field degree, you mm-hmm. should not be confident. You should not be overly confident coming out. You should, you should lean on your peers. You should ask for help. I did that for years. I would, and patients loved it. I would be like, excuse me, I'm going to go ask. I did that up until five years ago. You know what? I'm going to ask Jeff, Jeff, can you take a look? What are you seeing? Because I, Laura, Laura, can you take a look? What do you think about this? You know, we do that to each other. Hey, I've got this person. They asked me this because two minds are better than one. And, uh, the more minds you've worked with, the more bodies you've worked upon really speaks volumes because the, the body, while everybody's in everybody is individual, there are a lot of patterns, but it takes time to be able to recognize those patterns. People talk about this. We we teach in teen teacher training. We are giving these lit yoga teachers a breadth of knowledge about how to look at the body, and they are they're still they're always like, "You're a magician. How do you see that?" Well, it's why because I've seen hundreds of bodies, and I and I know what to look for. I can, you know, you can pick out the nuance that just takes experience. It. It is not taught. It can be taught, but even for our new, our new lit teachers, it's, it's applied. Like, you have to apply it. Yeah. Don't expect mm-hmm. to be a Lara. Don't expect to be a Kristen coming out here. That takes time. So if they will write us, hey, we'll help them out. We'll, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then then they start to see. Oh my God, I, I see that out in the, you know they, they're walking around uh, through the grocery store. And I saw, oh my God, I saw this person with an anterior pelvic, you know, they, they start to see it too, but that just takes applying it and experience. So yes, I love that you have the 10 years experience. You're ready. You're, You're ready. ready. It's just going to be that, that, that leap. And there, and there, and there will be work, you know, like, you, you know, 
word of mouth. Yeah, it's work. Yeah. It's work, but it's good work. It's worth it, yeah. you know, because um, you're not just kind of, for lack of a better word, clocking in and clocking out, working for somebody else. You're you're kind of kind of always. So you have to, you know, be disciplined and figure out um, what is a priority list and, and how to execute that. But feel free to write us for follow up. We're happy to help. And anybody else who wants to know, you know, we talk about all kinds of things, movement, lifestyle, business, et cetera. So you all can write us at any time. You can write, write to support at lityoga.com. Any question, we will try and answer to the best of our ability. And again, it's coming from our experience and our knowledge, but take yeah, it. You can also find us on uh, social media, Instagram, Lara.Hyman or KBWilliams99. A lot of people just DM us there and we keep all these in a little folder that we then work our way through. And um, yeah, and that's the beauty. Again, it's all about experience and that's why it's not just about the body. Um, we are happy to give you, you know, just some... These are the things that uh, I, I had somebody ask me this, you know, say, you know, is it is it is, is it hard getting old? Like I'm I'm almost 50 and I'm like, actually, no, I feel young and I love the experience. I love being this age. Yeah, the wrinkles on my face, they kind of bother me, not going to lie. But everything else, like, you know, the you look like you're 30. <laughs> I feel like I'm 20. So there yeah, we go. There we go. And there why? Go. Because of lit yoga. So, yeah. Exactly. Yes. And as always, check out Lit Yoga. Go to LitYoga.com. We have a two-week free trial, and you can go in there and check out the goodness if you have not already tried it out. But no, we appreciate you no matter, and we're always pulling for you. Thank you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.